We're going to look at Lesson 23, the influence of grace. The influence of grace. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 2. So first of all, I want you to notice with me in chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, we're going to talk about the power of grace. You know, I've read this passage probably 15 years ago, and I was blown away because I did, nobody t- was teaching this, and it was in the Bible. Nobody told you this. Well, we're going to talk about it today. Look with me. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works." Okay, so let's talk about the power of grace. This is the exact passage that had an impact on me 15 years ago or more, okay? First of all, the appearance of grace. Paul explains that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, okay, what is he talking about here? I want you to think for a moment. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What's, what's Paul talking about here? Don't think too hard. All right, Christ came to earth, okay? So he is the epitome of grace, okay? He is God's grace. Why? Because God in his grace decided to send somebody to pay the penalty for our sin, right? Okay. What else is grace? We know it's God now. Who else specifically? We're going to see that there's a specific person here. Not just Jesus, but Jesus said, I'm going away, I'm going to send somebody else. Who's that? Holy Spirit. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, look, here's what I want you to understand. This is what we're missing out on. We we are so freaked out by what we see on TV, all right, about the Holy Spirit. We don't even want to talk to him. Talk about him. Because we're afraid that something's going to happen and, you know, I'm going to swoop off a pew, perch like an eagle and swoop down or act like a dog or whatever like I saw on TV. No, no. Trust me, that is not spiritual works of the Spirit. Do you understand? But just because I'm reacting to some extreme over here doesn't mean I just need to neglect. We're neglecting to our own detriment. This passage will tell you why. Because the grace of God, which brings salvation, because the instrument of salvation in your life is the cross, but an instrument in your life is the Holy Spirit coming into your life and what? Sealing you, redeeming you. He brings salvation, okay? So this is the grace that he's talking about here. He explains that the grace of God brings salvation, has appeared to all men. All right. So what what does that mean? Well... He tells us that grace is our teacher. Grace is our teacher. Now, a lot of you are like, what? You never thought of that before. Grace, salvation, 
And the work of the Holy Spirit as the instrument of that grace in your life is your teacher. Paul tells us, tells Titus, the grace of God teaches us. You know what? The sad thing is most of us aren't realizing that it's our teacher. We just exist with an assumption about it. I'm okay. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Oh, you know, I've got a choice here to make. Oh, I know I shouldn't do that, but I can always ask for forgiveness later. Ever thought that? I can always ask for forgiveness later. That's the attitude that we have sometimes about our sin, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. Okay? And we, we neglect that right now, grace is happening in your life. It saved you from hell. Condemnation. Forever separation from God. And it wants to teach you something. This is what blew my mind so many years ago. Grace wants to teach me. What does it want to teach me, George? Well, that's what he tells us here in verse 12. Okay? Let me read it to you. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying all ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's talk about what he's supposed to, what grace is supposed to teach us. And I'm going to be honest with you, the instrument of that instruction is who? Holy Spirit. Now, let's stop for a moment. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, that I'm going to send to you another comforter, and he will what? Teach you, instruct you, okay? Teach you and instruct you. So look at what it says here. First of all, he's going to teach us to deny, to deny. The grace of God in salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Now, what is he talking about there? The grace of God teaches you, are you ready for this, to say no. It teaches you to say no. The Holy Spirit teaches you to say no. No to what? Sin. The worldly lusts that you're struggling with that are tempting you to go do something, you can say no to it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there strengthening you, teaching you to say no to that. The Holy Spirit is there to help you to say no to ungodliness. See, this is, you know, do you understand? When I read this so many years ago, it's like, wait a minute. Now, I've been a believer now for, for at least 15 years at that point. Nobody told me. I just told, was told the Holy Spirit would make sure that I would get there. Nobody told me. Nobody told me that the Holy Spirit would help me to live right now to do what God called me to do. Do you, do you understand? I was often under the impression that God, Jesus, told me to live a certain way, and then I was supposed to figure it out on my own. Maybe get with some older people in the church who'd figured it out, and I can learn from them. But the reality is, the Scripture is saying to you, God tells you to do something not because you can do it. You can't do it. Everybody recognize that? The, the standard that God calls us to live, we can't do it on our own. Everybody recognize that? Paul says, the good that I want to do, I can't do. That which I don't want to do, I what? I do. So why did he ask me to do it? Because he wants to do it through you. 
See, that's why the grace of God came in your life, to help you to live it. To help you to live it. Now, the problem is, we're all so individualistic. We want to do it on our own. Well, how's that working out? I'm going to tell you how it is working out in my life. It ain't doing too good. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not doing too good. The grace of God in salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldliness. Now listen, in fact, you say, oh, that's just one passage, George. Yeah, listen to what Peter says. Different apostle, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which has been given to us exceedingly and great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Through what? The promises. The promises of salvation. You have become partakers of the divine nature. Now, what's he talking about? I'm not a God. That's not what he's talking about. But guess what? God comes and lives within who? You. In the person of the Holy Spirit. And when that person of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he helps you to what? Escape the corruption of this world. He teaches you to say no. Okay, wait a minute now. Isn't that interesting? Stop for a moment. Why are we so powerless in our Christian lives? Why are we so defeated? I'm going to tell you why. We've ignored the one thing God gave us to do the work. It's kind of like, can I be honest with you, going to a building project, and I've got to dig a foundation, and I've got a shovel in my hand. And on the site is a backhoe. But I ignore the backhoe, and I try to dig the whole foundation with just a shovel. Isn't that silly? We're trying to live this Christian life, and the Holy Spirit has been given to us to teach us, and we're ignoring him because of some crazy stuff we saw on TV or some crazy stuff we heard somebody talking about. And we've totally removed him from our churches. So now, here's the scoop, so now we, we've got to have substitutes for him. What do you mean, substitutes? Well, we substitute the Holy Spirit by the atmosphere of the church and the style of music. Now, I'm not talking about our, we've got great music here, but there are some situations where you walk in where they got smoke machines trying to create an atmosphere where you sense something. And it's all because we've removed something from our lives, which is what? The Spirit of God working in our lives. It, it, to me, it's just amazing. Here it is. He says the grace of God has appeared to teach you to say no. Aren't you glad of that? Let me ask you something. Do, do we all have situations where we need to say no? How do we do? Not good, do we? And we get frustrated. We get frustrated. You, you know, so many times through the years I've met people, they say, well, I can't go to church there because I can't do what they're asking me to do. And you want to say to them, yeah, I know you can't. I'm sorry that you got the concept that you had to do it alone. You weren't meant to do it alone. 
So the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly loves. Here's what it teaches us to do. It teaches us to live. This is another one that we're not taught. It teaches us to live. The grace of God teaches us to live soberly. Now, when I say soberly, I'm not talking about just addiction issues. That's where that word is often used today about being sober. But it means to be in control of your mind. Okay? Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know who's going to tell you how to live in this present world, in this present culture, with all that's going on? It's not the preacher telling you which restaurant not to go to. It's the Holy Spirit telling you, don't do that. Don't go there. Do you know what I'm saying? And you've got to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life. You ever been somewhere where you just had a sense that you shouldn't be there? You ever had that happen? You're in a situation, and it's like something is telling you, you should not be here. Leave. That happens. Who do you think that was, folks? Holy Spirit teaching you to live. Well, first of all, to say, to deny ungodliness, but to what? To be godly. Okay? To be godly. And not only that, it teaches us to look. Now, this is what I think is missing also from the church. Look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It teaches us to live with hope. Can I be honest with you? A lot of us don't have any hope anymore. If we have a hope, we have a hope for wanting to have the American dream. Have, have you ever noticed that the American dream keeps changing? I can remember growing up, the American dream was a car and a color TV in every house. Now it's a smartphone in every hand, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's, it changes. It's changing. And... But that's not hope. Hope is what awaits for you later on because this world, you know, I was listening, I was listening to some CDs from Keith Green. How many of you have ever heard of Keith Green? Okay. He died in 84. He was a Christian artist, but he was speaking and he was saying about how God created this world in six days, but God has been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. And then he said, if it took six days to create this place, but the place he's preparing for us has been 2,000 years, man, we're living in a garbage can here. And I thought, you know what? We used to talk that way, that our hope was where? Somewhere else. See, that's what grace does. Grace helps you to have hope because, let's be honest, life does happen, right? Life happens. Terrible things happen. Out of, out of, out crazy stuff happens. And it's always, why did, have you ever noticed there's not a long pause, like two years of no problems? You ever, anybody here ever lived two years without any problems? How about a month? A week? Maybe, okay? What, this just is a constant reminder that we're here, what? Temporarily. There's a reason why the Bible uses the word that we're pilgrims or sojourners. We're here temporarily. 
So it teaches me to look. The grace of God teaches us to look and to wait for the second coming of Jesus, which, by the way, tomorrow, here in a couple days, is going to be May, and there was another prediction. I don't know if you knew it. It's gotten so many now, they don't even talk about it very often unless they want to make humiliation of Christians. Supposedly, God was supposed to show up with some alignment of some stars or whatever because of something in this book or whatever, and it's like, where do they find these nuts? Seriously. If you know your Bible, everything the guy's saying is wrong, but people are listening to him. And all that does is it causes the rest of us to not even have a hope anymore of looking forward to something because it's like, what do we believe? Believe what the Bible says, and the, and the Spirit of God teaches you. Teaches you. The grace of God teaches us to look forward to the hope. So now he's going to talk about, in verse 14, the sacrifice of Christ. Paul reminds Titus that Jesus died in order to redeem and purify us for himself. All right, so stop for a moment. This is why you're saved. You're not saved just so that you can have all your sins forgiven. You're not even saved so that you can have a mansion in heaven. You were saved for a purpose, and that is so that you could be a part of God's special people. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the purpose of your salvation, is to be a special people to him. It's not about you and I, okay? It's never been about you and I. So Paul describes believers as God's own special people who are zealous for good works. God's own special people who are zealous for good works. This is why he purifies us. He purifies you and I. This is why the grace of God comes and teaches you to say no. This is why the grace of God comes and teaches you how to live. This is why the grace of God comes and teaches you to have hope so that you could be his special people in this generation and serve him in this generation. Do you understand? He didn't send the Holy Spirit. He didn't save you just to take up a place in a pew. He took over your life for you to live for him everywhere, not just here. Bottom line. Bottom line, Paul describes believers as his own special people. Now, look in verses 15 through verse 2 of chapter 3, and we're going to see the influence of grace. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Okay, so let's take a look here. Number one, Timothy's supposed to teach about grace. And this is what we're supposed to do. Titus was to teach about grace as he exhorts and rebukes with God's authority, with the authority of God. Timothy was to teach about grace as he exhorts and rebukes with the authority of God. I'll be honest with you, we've kind of fallen down on that, haven't we? We've been so focused on everything else, but uh, there's a term for it called therapeutic moralism. Basically trying to teach you how to be moral people without giving you the basis for being that. 
And that is that grace is the one who teaches that. Grace is the one who changes your life. Grace is the one who gives you the strength to say no. And that's what Titus's role is. And he's supposed to do it by exhorting people, but also by what? Rebuking people. Sometimes you have to talk to a person and tell them, hey, you need to smarten up. And he's to do it with the authority of God. Why? And as he does this, Titus was not to allow others to despise him as a pastor. Now, why would he have to say that? Because when you are dealing with people and you're trying to encourage them to live by the Holy Spirit, is everybody going to accept what you're saying? Especially if they end up getting what? Rebuked. You ever told somebody the truth and had them, like, turn on you? Yeah, he says, don't let them despise you. Don't let them despise you. To be honest with you, that's more of an encouragement to Titus, that statement, than it is for Titus to tell him, you're not supposed to despise me. No, that's for Titus. Don't let them bother you. He goes on now, and he talks about the reminders in verses 1 to 2. Here's the things that we've got to remind ourselves about, okay? He was to remind believers to be in submission to rulers and authorities. Hey, listen. This was written when Rome was in charge. And the world was dominated by unbelievers. And nobody was wanting to do what God wanted to do. And, there, and this is not just the first book, but this is one of many books where we Christians are told to what? Obey the government. Obey them. Obey the government. Whether they're repressive or not, you obey the government. Now, there's a, there is always a pause to that. Remember what Peter said. I was just reading this yesterday in my devotional time. We rather do what God tells us to do and what men tell us to do when they told him not to do certain things that were contrary to God's word. But I'm going to be honest with you. The government's not telling you that much that's contrary to God's word, especially in our society. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. And paying taxes is not against the Bible. Okay? Because Jesus said, render to Caesar what belongs to who? Caesar. Okay? So, the point I want you to see is, is we need to be reminded that we need to be at submission. Why? Because in other passages of the Scripture, he tells us, because we don't want to give anybody an excuse to what? Blaspheme our God. We don't want to bring disrepute to what? Christianity and to Christ. Somehow we've forgotten that. Here's the other one. We're to um, not just be in submission to them. He reminds believers to obey rulers and authorities. So that's a little bit even further. Now, this is the problem our culture is having, right? We've gotten to the place in our culture where we don't, if somebody, if a cop pulls us over, People are disrespectful. Wow, something's changed, hasn't it? Here, we're to obey those in authority, okay? Or if the principal calls us into the office. You know, I can remember if you got called into the principal's office, I was shaking, hoping my dad didn't find out. Do you know what I'm saying? Now it's like, wait till I tell my daddy. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but for Christians, we are to have that attitude of obeying those who are in authority. He was to remind believers to be ready to do good works. 
Why do we need to be reminded of that? Because selfishness sets in, and a lot of times we'll say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that, Lord. Send it somewhere else. No, you need to be ready to do good works. And usually good works are with reference to what? Other people's lives. And let me just stop for a moment. When you deal with people, it's always going to be messy. Always. Why? Because have you ever met a perfect person? We've met people who thought they were perfect, but they weren't, right? Everybody has issues. And it's always going to be, especially the more you get involved in a person's life, it becomes more messy. But you need to be ready to do good works. And then here's one, verse 2, don't slander. He was to remind believers not to speak evil of any man. You know, in our internet age, we live in a time now where anybody can post and say anything anywhere, whether it's in a blog or on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever other platform that's coming out that's, that I'm not aware of, but the kids do know, you know, where anybody can say anything and trash anybody and nobody is held accountable to anything anymore. It's all freedom of the speech. It's all First Amendment. I can say whatever I want to. I can say whatever I want to. But you know, for a believer, that's not right. Did you know what I'm saying? That's not right. You and I are not to speak evil of any man. In fact, I want you all to look at your Bibles. Is there an asterisk there where it says at the bottom, this is only for when you speak of other brothers? No, it talks about any man. You and I are not to speak evil of anyone. In fact, this is what was interesting. When you read, we just read this, that the false teachers would speak evil of demons. And Peter and Jude both say that even the angels themselves do not speak evil of fallen angels. Isn't that interesting? Wow. But we've got to be reminded. You say, boy, George, just the stuff that you're telling me to do, I can't do it. Well, yeah, that's God's standard, right? And if we try to live that standard on our own, how are we going to do? Not good. But who's supposed, who's was given to us to help us to do it? To teach us to do it? Holy Spirit. Okay, I just wanted to be sure everybody's awake this morning and heard the message. I mean, the, the lesson. Okay. Now, verse 3, he's going to talk about actions towards others. He was to remind believers to be peaceable, gentle, and humble towards all men. I think that speaks for itself. Next week, we're going to talk about grace and human behavior. Grace just teaches these things, but grace also is going to talk a little bit more about our human behavior.